Welcome to CDM Media's Executive Insights. I'm your host, J.D. Miller. Today, we'll be joined once again by Dr. Chase Cunningham of our CDM Media Advisory Council. Also known as Dr. Zero Trust, Chase serves as the Director of Cyber Threat Intelligence Operations at Armor. He was the Computer Network Exploitation Lead for Telecommunications Systems and the Chief of Cyber Analytics for Decisive Analytics. Chase is a retired U.S. Navy chief with more than 20 years experience in cyber forensic and cyber analytic operations. His past experience stemming from the time spent in work centers with the NSA, CIA, FBI, and government agencies. He has a new book, and we'll pick his brain on that and all things Zero Trust after the break. We're going to talk about Riptide, a narrative on cybersecurity failures at the national level in conjunction with General Gregory Toole, they had a great discussion around security from a national standpoint in a very unique way. Dr. Chase Cunningham, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. So talk to me as we dive into to your book, and it's a, it's a great read. I highly recommend it. It's a fictitious story around supply chain risk management in the national security community. So I'm curious, what spurred you and General Toole to approach it this way? Well, I mean, uh, 100%, this was Greg's idea from the start. He actually, I think it was a Sunday or something or another, he just emailed me and said, I have an idea for a, a book and I'd like to kind of, you know, go at it with you. And I said, okay, cool. Um, funny enough, we wrote this whole thing before and we even noted it on the back cover before solar winds and all this other sort of supply chain thing happened. So Greg um, was, uh, you know, visionary and kind of knowing that there was a problem coming uh, and we went after it and it was... Uh, it was really uh, the goal was to try and make people aware like this whole single provider sort of system and outsourcing, et cetera. It can be dangerous if you don't approach it the right way. What was the biggest challenge of, of taking it as this approach of a, a fictitious narrative? I think the biggest one was, uh, I mean, having written a few books myself, writing uh, one book with two authors was kind of, it was fun because Greg wrote it from the perspective of, obviously a very senior government leader that knows how to do, you know, the management operational side and budgetary or whatever. And then for me, I wrote from the adversary bad guy side, but we spent so much time kind of ping ponging the manuscripts back and forth. Um, that was, that was the tricky thing. And then also to make sure that one of you is not kind of going off on a, a tangent that the other author can't, uh, can't counter. Yeah. Let's dive into the, the topic a little bit, because tell me a little bit about the challenges of defensive cyber operations and day-to-day -day operations of critical mission-enabling information technology, that being outsourced to a collection of vendors and, and their partners. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, that was a pretty interesting point that I got, because you know, from thinking about it from Greg's perspective, if you can imagine, I mean, the U.S. government's always trying to find ways to optimize budget to allocate resources correctly to uh, really you know move to the next sort of uh, functional model and that's where a lot of big companies have gone is where they have these sort of outsourced or pseudo outsourced provider sort of methodologies and that's okay but when you look at how you approach that problem and then you also try and figure out how do you do that without introducing systemic risk uh, the problem is not as black and white as you would think and it uh, it can very quickly paint the good guys into a corner because if you go about it wrongly, you actually are enabling the adversary to do things you uh, that would be counter to the good security practices. So tell me a little bit about 
the DOD advocates for outsourcing uh, foundational mission enabling IT systems. And now we're talking to me about the challenge and what it scares me a little bit, but going down to a single service provider. Yeah, well, if you look, I mean, uh, Kaseya was a great example. SolarWinds was a great example. Norsk, Maersk Hydro, all those were great examples of, it wasn't that the organization and their sort of um, operational side did anything wrong but it was because they were targeted by other adversaries that leveraged that provider network and infrastructure to get compromises into the system and then leveraged it. That's where things went sideways. And this is the same sort of approach. But if you think about the military and the DOD, we're not talking about shipping or you know, water treatment plant. We're talking about missile control systems, national infrastructure, U.S. Army, budget, finance, tax, like all that stuff that is really, really critical. Nuclear. Um, which is connected in there somewhere. So it, it becomes a, a, a bigger problem very, very quickly. Do you see a lot of countries in, in what you, you research, you know, trying to get to the same point of this single service provider? I think a lot of them are really moving into that sort of model of what are we good at? What are we using for operational sort of uh, perspectives? And then what can we offload? Because that's always where you save money. And at the end of the day, I mean, that's where decisions are made is, you know, are you able to budget more effectively? Uh, and it, it's becoming a pretty common conversation. Uh, you talk with folks in Australia and the UK, um, the EU, the Nordic region, uh, even India recently, I was talking with some folks over there. It's definitely a topic of conversation. Um, and it's, it's a topic, it's a conversation that needs to be had, but it also needs to be had very cautiously. When you look at, at this book, uh, Riptide, you mentioned this was done before solar winds. You started these conversations bef before then. Do you feel like it's a little bit of life imitating art with some of the subject matter you're hitting in here? Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, funny thing was when we started writing this and we were almost done with publishing it, the whole Kaseya thing happened and solar winds or whatever. And I actually called my wife and I was like, "Look, look, I told you, like this was gonna, <laughs> this was gonna happen." And um, you know, it's never fun to, it's never well, it's kind of fun, I guess, to be honest, to kind of be the "I told you so" person. But it's also <laughs> never fun to realize, like, oh, oh, crap, this is an actual big problem, and we've, you know, we're seeing this play out in real time. Um, it, 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 it keeps me not not necessarily awake at night because I know we have great people in operations centers doing the the hard work. I've been one myself, um, but. It does concern me uh, that we continue to kind of change our approach, but we don't change our thinking. And that's what introduces new risk. As you talk about Zero Trust in, in your podcast, Dr. Zero Trust, which you can find at cdmmedia.com or wherever you get your podcasts, from a Zero Trust standpoint, you know, what type of advice would you give these characters that, that you had in this book? Yeah, well, I think one thing we definitely hit on was, um, you know, using uh, the supply chain as kind of a, a point of inflection for ZT and, and really pushing where that has to be mandated within all the providers I and mean, making them subscribe to your strategy, not just kind of saying you do things your way and then we'll bring you in and we'll figure it out on the far end. That's a bad way of doing business. And then on the other side, when you look at what the adversaries did, because I wrote from the bad guy perspective here. Um, the bad guys are looking for you to not do the ZT things. And if you, if you choose to, um, you know, follow old practices, I, I, and I, I think we said this actually in the book, there's a line in there, like you are choosing failure and no one wants to do that. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit also about the challenge of, of, of writing a book like this. 
in a pandemic, you, you mentioned being separate, you posted on social media a picture of you asleep in the chair after you've, you, you've finished the book that uh, your child took of you. Talk to me a little bit about those types of challenges to, to put something you know fantastic like this together in a unique situation. Well, I mean, the good thing about the pandemic is it means you've got time on your hands. Um, the bad thing is when you're someone like myself and you've got time on your hands, you're going to find things to get um, you know, busy with. And uh, it, it's, it, I think a lot of folks, if they didn't take advantage of the time that we've had, um, you probably missed uh, an opportunity, but it's, it's still there. Um, you know, what I found writing books is you have to just go at it and kind of just let it happen. And to Greg's credit, we never, we never beat each other up on timelines or deliverables or anything else. Like Greg would write and then he would kick it over to me and I would kind of wait till I was in the mindset to write and I would write and we would go back and forth. Um, so, it, you know, uh, blessed to be able to work with a guy of that caliber that's also that uh, willing to, you know, let somebody like me in the, in the mix. But you've got to, you know, you've got to try, you've got to be willing to go out there and, and kind of give it a shot. And then if folks like what you write, great. If they don't, you contributed to the, uh, the collective, I think. What do you want people walking away after they read this book? Walk, walk away knowing or, or the knowledge you want to pass on from, from reading Riptide? Well, I think, number one, there's a reason we didn't call it Rip Current, right? I've had a lot of people at Opinion said, what, what's a Rip Tide? A tide is bigger than a current. So that was, that was actually a strategic sort of decision with the title there. So know that. Um, and the reason is this is a big problem. This could be a very big problem. But the, the far on into that is to really understand we are, we are uh, almost putting ourselves into a, a perspective where bad things will happen because we're allowing them to happen. And it happens all the way at the very highest levels of government, all the way down to the very lowest sort of operational side of the adversary perspective. And if we collectively don't approach the problem differently, we choose failure. And we can't do that in cyberspace. Um, this is the only time in history that the battlefield has been leveled because of technology. So we have to be different. We have to think differently. Otherwise, uh, we can't think that we're going to continue to, you know, uh, survive in the space in which we're in right now. Retired U.S. Navy chief, you know, worked with the NSA, CIA, FBI, and more. Are you, with everything that's going on right now, are you a little bit glad you're not in those roles right now? Yeah, I, uh, I've got friends that are still there, and a lot of them are like, I'm putting them in my retirement papers. They're, uh, they're ready to pop smoke and get out of there, which I don't blame them. So let's talk zero trust. And from a zero trust standpoint, what right now, a lot of education, I feel, has happened in the last year, year and a half on zero trust. Um, the conversation has clearly shifted in a lot of the events I've, I've put on over the last two years. Talk to me, what's still the biggest misconception out there about zero trust? Is it it's just too difficult? It's going to take too long? You don't have the staff? What's the biggest misconception? I think the biggest one is still that there's a zero trust product. Um, and people are always looking to kind of have, have a lot of folks that I spend time with workshops, you know, talking about, well, what do we buy? And my question is, what do you, what do you try? What's your objective? I don't necessarily care about what you buy, because I could I could build ZT for you with open source stuff, to be perfectly frank. However, it's always, I think, probably more operationally and budget, uh, budgetary beneficial, however you say that, to be um, to use vendor solutions. But um, there is no product. This is a, a strategy where you're leveraging technology to enable a strategy. Uh, and if you do that, you're getting to ZT over time. If we're sitting here two years from now, what's Zero Trust going to look like for organizations and, and how has it evolved? 
I think it will be the dominant security strategy on planet Earth. Um, I think we will see uh, a growth of ZT in the federal and DOD markets with a, a formalization of offices in those spaces, which there is one that's starting day after tomorrow in the Department of Homeland Security specifically for ZT. Uh, and I do think that we will see um, the adversaries uh, trying to figure out a way to get around zero trust and go look for those organizations that aren't ZT. And that will prove the model itself. What type of conversations should we be having? I think the biggest thing is honest, um, real conversations about taking the, ad the advantage away from the bad guy. I, I, I hate that thing about the bad guy only has to be right once. That just That's a victim mentality, and that's a good way to ensure you're going to lose. Um, yeah, the bad guy's got to be right once, but you actually, if you look at how ZT, if applied correctly, can change the game, you can take back some of that initiative. And the other thing is um, folks should be talking about kind of what they're willing to, uh, not necessarily sacrifice, but willing to, to, to live with the compromise. There is no perfection. There's no 100%. But the goal for me is to be 80% and for my you know, neighbor down the street to be 30 because I'm okay with them getting hit, not me. If you don't follow Chase uh, on LinkedIn, you got to follow. Uh, really, you're, you're a great follow. I, I love all of the deep fakes you, you've got going. And you know, for one, it's absolutely fascinating and, and looks awesome. At the other hand, holy crap, that's scary, right? Yeah. That, that you, know, you can easily, easily do that. Um, so I, I recommend people following uh, you, you on, on LinkedIn. It was, uh, they, did a, they did a deep fake in the, the last movie with uh, The Rock and Ryan Reynolds. They deep faked a, a, a biometric authentication system. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I will definitely check that out. Dr. Zero Trust podcast is something you've had for a little bit now. Tell me, what have you learned running the Dr. Zero Trust podcast? Um, and, and like I said, you can find that on cdmmedia.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. What, what, what have you learned? I think the biggest thing I've learned is that there, there are folks out there that are looking just to get real ground truth, honest uh, sorts of uh, perspectives on the market. And that's what I try and make sure that I do. Um, and then also trying to get the people that are not necessarily uh, at the top of the food chain at a whole lot of companies to talk about what they're doing in the trenches, um, because that's where, in my opinion, the reality of, of the, the fix lies and it seems to resonate with people. Wonderful. I encourage people to, to tune in and, and listen. And um, thank you so much, Chase, for, for being with us uh, here today as we're diving into this. You can find Riptide on Amazon. Uh, you can get it on Kindle or, or paperback. Um, thank you so much, Chase. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks again to Chase for joining us today. You can check out our previous episode with Chase on cdmmedia.com, along with all past episodes of CDM Media's podcast series. You can also access them from anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep connecting.